Welcome to the Growing Rural Podcast, where we focus on all things rural in South Carolina. We will discuss topics on healthcare, economy, education, and the unique culture that is our rural state. This podcast is supported by the South Carolina Center for Rural and Primary Healthcare. Please join us for today's topic. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Growing Rural Podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Dr. Megan Rice. Today, we're talking with Amy Splitgerber and Amanda Metzger with Healthy Learners. Amy is the Executive Director, and Amanda is the Director of Community Engagement. Welcome, both of you. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thanks for having us. I'm so excited to have you guys here because I've been uh, talking to you guys in the past and hearing everything about Healthy Learners, and it's just an absolutely amazing program doing amazing good work all over South Carolina and particularly meeting needs in rural areas. So just to start off for our listeners, can you uh, tell us a little bit more about Healthy Learners, what it is and why you do what you do? Tell us all about it. Yep. So Healthy Learners has been in existence in South Carolina for almost 30 years. Um, Next year is going to be our 30th anniversary. And so we started, we are a health ministry of the Sisters of Charity of St. Augustine. And that's a really important piece of who we are as as an organization and our mission. We are literally the hands and the feet of the Sisters of Charity in South Carolina. And that is a sacred trust that we really hold um, and and we do all of our work uh, with that foundation. And so um, we address children's health barriers to learning. Our mission is um, to address health barriers to learning with love and compassion. And health barriers to learning, really anything that is preventing a child from thriving in the classroom. And so sometimes a child is struggling maybe academically, behaviorally, maybe they're chronically absent, Uh, There could be a lot of reasons for that, but sometimes what we found is sometimes they're having a hard time seeing uh, seeing the work. Um, They're having extreme dental pain. Um, They might be uh, absent from school because they have chronic asthma that isn't being um, um, addressed. And so that's really where Healthy Learners steps in. Oftentimes, parents have a very hard time accessing health care. So we just take it for granted, you know, that that we can bring, uh, you know, that the parents can bring their children uh, to the doctor when they need it. But especially in some of our rural areas across the state, that's really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And so that's where Healthy Learners steps in. We, we actually um, go to school uh, or um, after school programs or summer camp programs, wherever school, wherever children are, we bring, take the children uh, with parent permission, of course, and take them to the doctor get their eyes checked, get their glasses prescribed, um, take them to the dentist, etc., cetera, uh, and then bring them back to school. And so we are stepping in for the parents at that time, and we're getting those children's health needs met. Uh, tell me a little bit more about where in the state uh, you're located. So we, our home base is here in the Midlands. Uh, it's where we started. We've been here, like I said, for nearly 30 years and we serve most of the school districts in uh, in the Midlands. And we started expanding um, about 16 years ago. So we have programs. We have an upstate program that is focused in Greenwood County. Our PD program is focused in Dillon County. We also serve 
Marion County. We also have a low country program that is focused in Allendale. We just recently have established a part- partnership with Hampton County, which is very exciting. And then we have uh, our sort of Waccamaw uh, program that we have um, staff in um, Georgetown County. And so what we're, we're doing is we're really taking those home bases and we're trying to figure out how we can serve more children outside of those sort of county borders. So, I mean, obviously this is incredibly important work if a child can't see or can't hear, you know, to be able to engage in the learning. And we all know how important education is, you know, for for employment, for quality of life, for access to health care, for health outcomes in, in so many different ways. So you're what does it look like from the perspective of a student or the family that you're working with? How does it how what how does it work? How does it uh, go along with that? Yeah, so like Amy said, we do obviously get parent consent to serve the child. Most of the time the child is identified through either the school nurse, through the teacher or through a screening event. So we're really just looking for any of those problems. So if a child has a vision problem and the teacher notices or we might identify that through a vision screening. And then the child's referred to healthy learners. And then our staff works to coordinate that care. So like Amy said, in addition to access, sometimes that care coordination is a really big obstacle for some of the parents. So we coordinate the care, set up that appointment, and then pick up the child at school or at after school, kind of wherever they are, and then take them to the doctor. And our staff, um, student service coordinators, just have a really awesome relationship with all the kids we serve. It's really pretty special, so it's fun to kind of watch those relationships grow. But And they accompany them to that appointment and then take them back and then, then provide the school nurse and the parents with all the follow-up notes and everything from those appointments. So we make sure there's that full circle of communication. Mm, absolutely. So there are a lot of moving pieces in this. You guys are coming in and you're helping communicate with the parents and transporting the students. How how do you form those partnerships with all the groups and the communities you need to work with? Because you're not just coming in and bringing in all your own folks. You're working with the school districts and with local providers, um, maybe finding other providers to come help. Tell me a little bit more about that because it, it sounds like it truly is a, a community effort in some ways as well. And you've been building those community coalitions. Absolutely. So Amy and I work really from kind of a big lens from a statewide perspective. So we're really thinking about how do we connect the dots between these programs? How do we work with statewide agencies to really just grow those partnerships and then support the kids both through fund development and through referral networks? And then, as you can imagine, thinking about the communities that Amy just mentioned, how we serve the kids in the Midlands and in Lexington and Richland looks a lot different than how we serve the kids in Allendale. So it's really those local partnerships that are so, so important, especially in those rural communities and when there's just less access to those healthcare resources. And so we have a lot of partnerships with the local providers. So we've got MOAs with the providers. We have MOAs with the school districts. And then recently, we've really been getting into figuring out a lot of those partnerships with some of the other providers, like Amy mentioned, into the childcare realm. So how can we work with after school programs, boys and girls clubs, YMCAs, just wherever these kids are to really form those partnerships to continue to serve the kids even outside of school hours. Uh, You mentioned, you know, um, how the program can look a little bit different depending on the county or the community you're in, which I believe is a strength of this program, that there is the flexibility to meet communities to to serve them in the way that makes sense. Could you tell me a little bit more, because you mentioned that, you know, how it might look in, say, downtown Richland, uh, downtown 
around Columbia uh, in Richland County would look different than Allendale. And I know you guys just had a big event in Allendale, too. So can you walk me through how it may look different in different areas, particularly rural areas? Yeah, I think that some of the challenges are just, again, in that access and just in the concentration of where, you know, those providers are located. Mm-hmm. So in the Midlands or in our Greenwood community, you know, the providers are very, very close to where the schools are located. So there's an efficiency um, in some cases that we don't see in the rural areas. In Allendale, it's not uncommon for us to pick up a child and drive them to Orangeburg for a medical appointment. So going back to kind of what Amy said, that was something, you know, when I started this job, it was really eye-opening to think, you know, that a parent would have to take a half day or a full day off of work and miss that income just to take their child to mm-hmm. an, an appointment because we just think about, oh, I'm going to go five minutes down the road to the doctor, right? So I think that that's definitely a barrier, but it's also an opportunity because we've mm-hmm. really spent a lot of time looking at the data and doing asset mapping and figuring out where are the schools, where are the providers, where are the gaps, and where do we need to establish more partnerships so that we can serve these kids more efficiently. So just to add on that, several years ago, um, Healthy Learners as an organization decided to really take a look strategically mm-hmm. at, at at our mission and how we were achieving our mission. Um, as I said, 16 years ago, we, we expanded. Um, but then that's sort of where it stopped. Uh, we took a model that worked really, really well in the Midlands, and we put that same model in four different geographic locations across the state. And as you mentioned, Allendale as a community is very, very different than Columbia as a community. And so, um, and that ex- when we took the model and we expanded it in those different areas, it was then uh, sustainability wise, it was mm-hmm. hard to then go, what's the next step in our growth? And so that's really where, from a strategic standpoint, healthy learners took a, a long, hard look at at how we were accomplishing our mission. How were we serving children? And so I was hired, really, essentially, to figure out how to serve more children in more communities. How do we do that from a sustainable, in a sustainable way? And so we took a look at, you know, what is considered our traditional service delivery. So what we were just talking about, you know, identifying a child uh, through the school nurse and, and getting that those child the child's health needs met. And we will always do our work that way. But how can we also be proactive? You had mentioned earlier mm-hmm. yesterday we had a screening event in Allendale where we screened every child in the entire district. We brought a team together. We had a, we have a wonderful partnership with Lion Services. Mm-hmm. And so they had a team. We had a team. We split up, and we, we knocked it out. And we identified 178 children with vision needs yesterday. Um, that is game-changing for us because now we know these children because of the pandemic most of them did not have glasses you know they have been virtual learners and so potentially they could have lost their glasses during the last 18 months Mm -hmm. so we know we can go and we can get that child we have identified need and so then we can be more efficient 
And so those health screenings are really, really important for us to, you know, look at our at expansion. So mm-hmm. how do we go into, as I had mentioned, we're, we have a new partnership with Hampton County. So how do we do something similar in Hampton County? So instead of being reactive, we're proactive so that we can be more efficient. And then we're also looking at statewide initiatives. So how do we you know, use our ability to communicate with parents and talk about mental health or talk about exposure to lead or talk about, um, you know, chronic hunger, some of these issues that are also health barriers to learning that we have a hard time addressing, Mm -hmm. you know, in that, in our typical service delivery uh, methodology. One thing that you you mentioned uh, with the screenings that I, I would like to highlight is that you guys are not only screening, but then there's that connection to care. I think lots of times we hear about programs and, you know, it's screening, 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 which is absolutely critically important. As you shared, you know, you're not just waiting for a teacher to say, you know, I, I think so-and-so, you know, might be having a little trouble seeing, could you take a look, but being proactive out there. How do you make that connection to the providers and then I know we have so many good-hearted and people in the state that want to help people, and I'm sure there's some volunteer time, but also paying for time when you get through that. So can you talk about a little bit about when you were saying the sustainability and how you can keep it going um, and just kind of that mix? Right. That is key. What we do not want to do is go in and do a screening event and not have the bandwidth to serve those kids. And so... Um, that's where you know we have in some of our highly concentrated areas like the Midlands, you know, doing a screening event, um, you know, say in in one of our larger districts, you know that that's our commitment. If we did that, we would be committing, you know, to getting that the children access to care. And so that's really really important. That if we're going to screen, we're going to serve those children. And so, um, you know, we communicate, our, you know, your child has um, an identified, you know, vision problem or, or dental problem. Do you need help? You know, do you need help accessing care? Some parents have it. You know, some parents have the ability to take off time, you know, with work. Mm-hmm. But a lot of our parents, you know, especially in the areas where we're doing these stre- screening events, they do need help. And so we are offering, you know, to do the care coordination and to, um, you know, to get the child to where they need to go. And one of the ways, like Amy said, our goals, if you could sum up kind of our job descriptions in a few words, is how do we serve more kids in more communities? That's really our the goal of our job descriptions. And so one of the ways in which we are trying to figure that out is through our AmeriCorps program, mm-hmm. which is really um, allowing us to put more boots on the ground in these communities, especially these, these rural ones. And so like Amy said, that model of how do we take these hubs right how do we take our staff in allendale and also serve the kids in hampton and bamberg and barnwell how do we take our staff in Dillon and serve the children in marion how do we take our staff in georgetown and reach williamsburg county and so we're doing that through in some ways our americorps program so trying to identify americorps members that are part of those communities that's really important to me as we are trying to recruit them i'd love to have those trusted members that are and know those communities mm-hmm. and then we can hire them as americorps members we can provide them with obviously training and oversight from our staff. We can put a van out there and then again just begin screening and then transporting children right there in those communities. And so it's been a really exciting partnership with AmeriCorps um, as we started this last summer. That's wonderful. Um, is there a cost to the parents? Never. So many of our 
families are on Medicaid. Most of them are eligible for Medicaid. If they're not on Medicaid, maybe they moved, maybe it Mm -hmm. lapsed. Our staff are trained to help um, reinstate that Medicaid. In some instances, especially in the Midlands, um, our there are so many children that are ineligible for Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, they were not born here. And so in those instances, uh, we do direct fundraising to cover those medical fees. So there's oftentimes a language barrier. Um, there's not a focus culturally on prevention. And so these children have never been to the dentist, Mm -hmm. have never been to the eye doctor, and are ineligible for Medicaid. And so, you know, that is really where Healthy Learners steps in, and and we cover all of those costs. In some instances, we have partnerships with medical providers, and they provide in-kind services or discounted rates um, or negotiated Medicaid rates. Mm -hmm. And so that's very, very helpful to us as an organization. Um, But there's never any charge for any of our services for parents. We've all had to make so many adjustments over the past, I'm used to saying past year, but we're really into a year and a half um, into this journey in the in the pandemic. Um, Amy, you were talking about how really revitalizing and some new strategies with healthy learners, but how has COVID-19 specifically really impacted, uh, impacted the work? Yeah, so I think, you know, COVID happened and the world stopped there for a minute, right? So the same thing happened to us. So not only the children, we couldn't access, the schools mm-hmm. closed and our providers closed. And it was like, absolutely, yeah. Okay, now what do we do? So right? you're going so, to the schools to see the kids yeah. and now schools are closed and yet needs are likely rising. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it was, um, you know, we kind of had to take a step back at first and really just think about our mission, which Amy mentioned at the beginning. And we kind of had a hashtag we were using throughout, which was love is in our mission because the word love is there. And it was, what is the root of what we need to do? And it's just serving the community and serving the families. So for quite a while, it was delivering food, right? It was partnering mm-hmm. with the school districts and with local organizations to literally take food to these children. In many cases, the school districts were having these food pickup lines. But if those pickup lines couldn't be accessed by the parents because they didn't have transportation or because they were during school hours, we're kind of back to that same issue. So we were physically taking food to the doorsteps. And it was a really eye-opening and humbling experience, I think, for all of us just to see, you know, where and how some of the kids that we serve are, you know, where they're living. And so we delivered over 100,000 meals um, to the doorsteps there for a while. And then as providers started opening, we really started thinking about how can we still serve the kids. And so for the very first time, we started serving children from home, and we'd never done that before. So actually picking the child up from home, taking them to the doctor and back, we lost a huge efficiency, obviously, in that before we could pick up four kids and take them all to the dental clinic and bring Mm. them back. And so not only was that not possible because they weren't at school, but also just because of social distancing practices, we could no longer put four children in the car. And so just lots of barriers in that aspect, but just, again, part of our mission, just trying to serve the best, you know, the best that we could. And so as the kids started going back to school, it was very difficult for our staff, you know, just thinking about these school districts changing week to week every two weeks so some school some of our we were in 150 schools and some of them were all in person and some were all virtual and some were hybrid and those were moving and fluctuating and just because a child's learning virtually does not mean they're learning at home they might be 
at grandma's or at the neighbor's or at an after-school provider. And so just trying to find these kids was extremely challenging for our staff. But mm-hmm. obviously, we just kind of kept at it. But it was, we keep saying, the silver lining of COVID was it really forced us to um, have to examine a lot of those other community partnerships and figuring out, okay, how do we serve kids, again, in boys and girls clubs, in after-school care, and just wherever they are outside of school? And so um, that was definitely something new. And I'm at least, you know, I'm glad that that was an outcome of the pandemic for us. And so we've continued that practice as well, being able to pick them up outside of school as well. Could you share with us a little bit uh, more? You know, we talked about how you're working all over the state and communities all over the state. What is some of the impact that you guys have had and any success stories that you'd like to share? So the numbers, right, um, the numbers reflect the number of children that we serve and, and what we do. And we, we have a very robust data system. In a typical non-COVID year, uh, we serve about 2,000 unique students a year. That number is going to be rising. Um, and we serve, we, we provide about 5,000 services. Mm-hmm. Again, that number is rising. Um, but that just, that counts numbers. Mm-hmm. Each one of those students has a story. And there's such a special relationship oftentimes um, between the students that we serve and our student coordinators. Um, if a child needs glasses in kindergarten, they're also going to need glasses in 12th grade. And so our staff members, in some instances, have served these children for that span of time, their entire career. We have many of our student service coordinators that have been with us for 15, 16, 17 years. It's just amazing. And part of the reason is the connection that they have with Mm -hmm. their students. Um, We have started a practice to share these impact stories amongst our staff, uh, with our board. And I'm reminded of um, the last board meeting that we have. I invited um, one of our student service coordinators in Greenwood to share an impact story. And she told uh, of this family that uh, they had served multiple children, single dad, um, caring for I think four children who were all seen by healthy learners, various health conditions um, over the years. And this dad developed um, some chronic illness and very suddenly passed away. And so this family then was now living with mom who had been quite absent. Um, And the the oldest child uh, started writing some things and the teacher uh, noticed some of the writing and she contacted um, Alice because she knew of that special bond and so um, they I think were going to a medical appointment a, a, an already scheduled medical appointment and she started talking to the child about maybe seeing a counselor um, to, to deal with her mm-hmm. the, um, the the father's death and um, so he was just like, what, why do I need to go here? You know? And so they scheduled the appointment and, and he was still kind of confused. And, um, so she picked him up and took the, took him to the, to the counseling appointment. And, and afterwards he said, thank you. I don't, I didn't know that I needed that, but thank you. And, um, and it was just, you know, it, it, it just shows the depth of the relationship and the bond that 
our student coordinators have with these children Mm -hmm. and these families. They get to know them, and we are really looking out for them as a whole. So this is, you know, in some cases it's a pair of glasses Mm -hmm. and and we might not see that child again, but in other cases we go deep. We go deep with our families. And, um, you know, we we care above and beyond. You know, again, love is in our mission, and that that's love in that car right there. I think it goes back to the partnership, too. Like Amy said, when we start serving the children, if there's a need that they have, we know that it also can go outside of the scope of the work that we do. So knowing those local partnerships, our staff are so good at being connected to those local coalitions and other local civic organizations. So if a child, if there's a housing issue or clothes they need clothes or other things that are happening they they work to help connect them to some of the other people that they are partners with in the community because want to make sure that the children have kind of everything that they need so mm-hmm. absolutely and thank you for sharing that story because that is uh, amazingly illustrative of of meeting the needs and then as you build those relationships being able to it it goes beyond as you were saying okay screening here's a pair you know a pair of glasses <laughs> which is important right but but serving the, the whole child and really the whole family in in that way that was uh, very meaningful work um what have you guys learned through this work you know i i think before i've been in nonprofit work for a really really long time um but i don't think that I, I've connected with what it means to be a nonprofit service organization uh, with healthy learners. Um, it, it has impacted my life tremendously. Um, there are so many families, you know. I, I, I think I came to to this to this work with a lot of biases about families who are struggling financially. And what I've learned is there are so many families out there that are working really, really, really hard. And sometimes they just need a little help. And I think sometimes there are children out there that are struggling Mm -hmm. academically or behaviorally. um, And sometimes what they need is an easy fix. Sometimes it's a pair of glasses. And shortly before I came to Healthy Learners, I had my own Healthy Learners story. I had a, a child who was struggling, and, um, and he was struggling for years. And as parents, we were paying attention. We were trying this and that and this and that. And what he needed was an accurate diagnosis. And for him, it was um, ADHD and, and a, um, a diagnosis, actually, of dyslexia. And once we had that diagnosis, then we knew what to do. And so with with healthy learners and the children that we serve, sometimes it's just they need a tooth removed because they have a, a horrible dental issue. And so once they get rid of that pain, you know, then they can concentrate and thrive in the classroom. And so, um, you know, the, the other thing I guess I learned was in Amanda um, described, you know, we were knocking on doors and doors and doors during the pandemic in neighborhoods that I had never been. And that was a huge learning for me in that, you know, families are families and we all have our struggles. Um, and I got, you know, I got comfortable, you know, being in these neighborhoods and, and greeting, greeting folks that were not like me. And it changed my perspective. Um, I really grew 
as a person. Yeah, I agree. I think it's that change in perspective. We just take all of that for granted. My daughter um, was identified through a school screening that she needed glasses. And so that was wonderful. And again, you just take for granted that I just took the note and said, great, took her to the eye doctor and got her her glasses. But like Amy said, there's so many people that, you know, we just think they're making a choice between taking their child to the doctor and taking that time off of work or putting food on the table. And just, you know, it's not a position that I've, I've ever been put in. So just being able to put on that perspective and really learn more about these families has been, you know, extremely humbling and never having to make that choice myself. So especially in those rural communities and thinking about, again, how far away those providers are and thinking about that right now, especially as these children are out of school and what a hardship that's putting on some of the parents. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's been definitely a perspective that I had never considered before healthy learners. Are there unique ways that you work in or support rural areas? I think that, um, like we mentioned, the providers and everything being so far apart is kind of unique. So it's just in figuring out the most efficient ways to serve those communities. And I think, like Amy mentioned, the screening is a pilot that we started in our rural communities. So we did those first pilots in the the rural communities that we Mm -hmm. serve back in 2019, again, as a way to be proactive. And we can go in and in a day or in a couple of days screen all the children in those entire school districts. And that was really a way for us to figure out how can we take that model and then expand into these other rural areas. And so that's definitely something that we're doing in those rural areas that we're not doing, like Amy said, in Richland and Lexington, Mm -hmm. 165,000 students versus thinking about Allendale where there's 1,000 students in the entire county. And so it's obviously a little bit more manageable that way as we think about kind of that expansion. What do you see as the continued or future challenges of healthy learners? What are you guys getting ready to tackle? (laughs) So there isn't a single county in South Carolina that isn't in need of our services. And so how do we manage that? How do we how do we grow in a sustainable way? We're needed most in our rural areas, really and truly. And so I think that there was a the thought that in order for us to serve some of these rural counties, we needed to have two staff members and two vehicles and an office space. And that's just not feasible. It's not sustainable. These counties don't have the ability to... Um, Uh, to create that sustainable fund development mix. And so how do we look at this from a regional perspective? So how do we Mm -hmm. have, you know, a a manager of a regional program and then um, staff that may be assigned to um, more of our rural counties? Um, How do we bring in AmeriCorps, which is sort of a partnership We certainly pay the AmeriCorps members uh, a living stipend, but it is a way for us to expand our staff in an economical way. And so I really think that that sustainable growth, how do we do that not so quickly, you know, so that it's uh, it's manageable? Mm -hmm. Um, How do we build those community partnerships so that there is local um, buy-in amongst partners and we're not just creating this organization you know that is working in a silo in and of itself you know so so how do we how do we work with um you know other uh, local uh, youth serving organizations um you know so that we're all working together and getting these families what they need yeah and i think that 
the point of healthy learners is to serve the need and every community has a different need. And so it's not about going into a community and saying, well, this is what we're going to do. And this is exactly how we're going to do it. And we have to do all these things or we're not doing anything, right? It's not like that at all. It's meeting with the community partners, meeting with the school district and saying like, what are you currently doing? What are Mm -hmm. the gaps? How can healthy learners, you know, fill those gaps? And so in many of the districts that we serve, in some cases, the schools are doing mass screenings for vision or dental or things. And in that case, that's awesome. Like, that's wonderful that the schools are doing that. And so our role in those schools is to step in and then all the children that, you know, a problem is found, then healthy learners can provide the coordination of care or the access to care if that's needed. And especially in the rural counties, though, that's really not happening in the screenings. And so that's when we might come in and then do all mm-hmm. the screens for that district. And so it's really asking those questions. And so is it that they need screenings? Is it that it's just access? Do they need us to come in and do youth mental health first aid training? Like what is the need of that community and how can we help fill that gap? And so I think as we're looking towards these future expansion efforts, just because we're moving into a county also doesn't mean that we're serving every single school in that county in every single way that we serve. So especially, as Amy said, with sustainability in mind, we've looked a ton at the data and looked at, in some cases, there's pockets of schools that we know have a greater need. So as we're expanding into that county, maybe we start with these five or six schools, get a little bit of traction, build up the referral network, get some more funding, and then we can expand into the entire county. And so I think those are some of the opportunities that we're looking at as we're continuing to grow. That's fantastic. Um, I want to ask another question. It might um, go back. Um, What is the range of services that you provide? I know we've talked about glasses and vision. Um, I know hearing, and you mentioned asthma, but uh, if you could give an idea of all the aspects that you guys cover. Yeah, so health barriers to learning. There are there are eight identified health barriers to learning. And so those are uh, vision problems, dental problems, uncontrolled asthma, hearing problems, uh, mental health issues, behavioral health issues, and that's like ADHD, attention, um, uh, exposure to lead, and then also chronic hunger. So those are the eight health barriers to learning that we work in most of those. Um, As we had mentioned, uh, we have recently got um, interested in, you know, how do we we partner with others uh, to address the chronic hunger that is, hasn't been something traditionally that we have done. And then we're currently not working in the uh, exposure to lead space, but that is something that we're trying to figure out in the future. How could we provide some education? Because that is an issue in South Carolina. Uh, We're just not currently doing anything with that. Mm -hmm. And one of the other pilots that um, we have done besides the screening pilots was youth mental health first aid. And we really started that um, in our Georgetown community. Um, There was a huge community need. The community was rallying behind it because of a couple of teens that had died by suicide. And so we had a staff member become trained in youth mental health first aid. I also became trained in youth mental health first aid. And so we are working with other statewide agencies and partners just to provide those trainings to anyone that serves youth. So we've trained parents and teachers and counselors and youth group leaders, EMS workers. And that training is an evidence-based training that helps adults to recognize signs and symptoms of mental illness in young adults. In the services you provide, what are you seeing are the greatest needs? 
I think that depends community by community. Um, we look again a lot at the data. We know there are some communities that, you know, dental problems is, you know, the biggest issue. Vision can be the biggest issue. So we do really try to look at that. Um, dental and vision are by and large the greatest services that we provide to the children. But I think as we continue to break into these other spaces, especially around mental and behavioral health, and especially post-pandemic, we're definitely going to continue to see those numbers rise. And like Amy said, with some of those numbers earlier in the number of services we provided, and you mentioned, you know, the pandemic, we, these kids haven't been seen in many cases face-to-face by a teacher or by their school nurse. These school nurses haven't had time to do screenings or identify these children. They're basically acting as triage nurses, and they're just trying to keep up with vaccination Mm -hmm. records and these close contact tracings. And so all these children are just now getting back into the schools, and these teachers and the nurses are just now putting eyes on them. And so in many cases, we know, like Amy said, they haven't been seen. They might not have had glasses for a year, a year and a half because of the pandemic. So we know that a lot of the issues, especially with mental health as well, those have really been exacerbated by the pandemic. Okay. What continued bright spots and areas of opportunity do you, do you see? Yeah, I think, you know, we've mentioned a lot of them in kind of the growth model that we've talked about. And Amy and I get really excited about, you know, coloring in new counties on our map and what that looks like to expand just because we really do just want to reach more children. So I think for me, the the bright spots are just going to be those continued local partnerships and those different referral sources. Because in the past, again, we just kind of waited on the school nurse to send us a referral. And then we, of course, immediately responded. But I think it's that being proactive that makes me excited and thinking about the different referral networks. And so, you know, we've set up ways that our medical providers can refer directly to us. A parent can self-refer into the program. And so by setting up those different networks, um, I think that's going to be really important to just serving more kids. And we're really excited about those opportunities. And then on the opposite end of that is the bright spots of when we go deep with a family. You know, so how we are changing lives. And when we can see that, um, when we know that, when we pull out those success stories and really um, tease them out and, and really um, get them on paper and, you know, we know, we see in black and white um, the impact that we have had. Um, the other thing we had mentioned earlier about our robust, robust data system, um, we also, for the first time ever, are set up to get actually true impact data. And so we know if we provide glasses to a child, we know that their reading and math scores, you know, can go up. We, there, are, there are national data that support, you know, these health barriers to learning and, and getting the health needs met. But what we're going to be able to do is go into a school district and match the children that we're serving with their educational records uh, through PowerSchool, with their behavioral write-ups, with their absentee scores or absentee um, numbers to say, okay, with the children that we serve, you know, this this many we provided glasses, what happened in right. aggregate form to their, you know, reading and math scores? We're very excited about We're that. We're so excited. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we kept mentioning mental behavior, health, asthma, all those things we know, like Amy said, intuitively and because of other, you know, data pieces that it's going to be have an impact, but now we're going to actually be able to see that. So before Healthy Learners stepped in and served this child, for their chronic asthma. They missed 14 days of school last year. And then after Healthy Learners stepped in this year, they've missed two days. Like, 
that's exciting for us and also the school district and you know a child that was pers- was identified and prescribed with ADHD and we got them proper care and follow-up care they had this you know 20 behavioral write-ups last year and after they had that services mm-hmm. now those numbers have been cut in half and those are really impactful for the schools and like Amy said for us it's that mix between that depth of getting to know that family and that actual story, but having that data. And that's really important for us as we continue to talk to both individual donors and funders as we write grants, because it really helps us again to get more support. And it just allows us to, again, kind of expand into more communities in that way. Fantastic. So we have a question we ask all of our guests, and that is, how would you define rural? There are so many definitions out there, and it's so such a personal thing in many ways. So I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts. So I, I think I would uh, define rule as I always think you know geographically you know mm-hmm. um, uh, and and so you know when when there is a travel distance you know there's a travel distance to 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 go to the grocery store to get access to care to you know to you know have our child in in school you know the um, you know, I guess I, I think of wide open spaces, you know, and, and, and so much of South Carolina is rural. And, you know, I think you get comfortable in your in your own space. Uh, but we spent the day yesterday in Allendale. And I, I was imagining what would it be like to live there? You know, um, and, it, and it would be so very different in, in some ways. So refreshing um, and then in other ways, challenging. Yeah, I agree. I think you kind of think of, again, those wide open spaces. But I always go back to, again, that access to care and, like, how far is it going to take you to get to those much, you know, the resources that you need every single day. So um, I would think I would pretty much just echo what you would say. Right. How can people listening learn more about Healthy Learners to become involved, to uh, help you guys out, uh, attend one of your fundraisers? Uh, How can they learn more? Yeah, absolutely. You can visit our website, which is www.healthylearners.com. And there, again, you can learn about all the different programs. You can see our upcoming events. You can fill out an online consent form that's available in both English and in Spanish if there's a child or a family in need. And then just connect with all of our staffs, so all of our contact infos there. And then you can, of course, follow us on social media. So Facebook and Twitter, we are at Healthy Learners. And Instagram, it's at Healthy Learners SC. And we'll be sure to put those links in our show notes as well. Awesome. Amy, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you taking your time and sharing more about healthy learners. And um, thank you to everyone listening for joining us as well uh, in this conversation. Again, please check the show notes for links for everything that we talked about. And stay tuned for more episodes coming out soon. If you've liked what you've heard, please head over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a rating. If you have any ideas for guests you'd like to hear on our program, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. That's all for today. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Growing Rural Podcast. If you found the content valuable, please leave a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen so that others can find us. For more information, please visit our website at scruralhealth.org or find us on Twitter at sc underscore crph. This was recorded at the University of South Carolina in Columbia. Y'all take care.